We're in our series called Next Step. And the idea behind Next Step Living is to understand that our life with God is not a sprint. It's not a, oh man, I'm really going to catch up this time. And it's a long, drawn out process. My friend Gary calls it a long obedience in the same direction. Step after step. Step after step. It's like in a marathon, you don't just start off. Well, I mean, I, one time I ran, running a marathon is probably not quite what I did. I survived a marathon, okay? And I, when I started out, it was good. I was, I was amazing. I, for the first 200 yards, I was fantastic. And then I started cramping up and it was terrible. No, I, it was just a horrible, horrible thing. But the idea is one step, one step after the other, one step after the other. And so we've been talking about Jesus. We started in Matthew right in the beginning, and we've been going all the way to chapter 17 now. And we talked last week about how Jesus has changed his language from come and see to come and die. From all these steps that the disciples have taken, Jesus started to uh, teach differently than the Pharisees taught and started kind of shaking up uh, what the word of God says. And began to do stuff on the Sabbath that the Pharisees were getting all upset about. He started healing people. Things that the disciples had never seen before. Healing leprosy and uh, paralytic people. And um, the demon possessed. And he fed the 5,000. Then he fed the 4,000. Just incredible things that are going on. And Jesus has taken them step by step by step by step. Until finally he says to the disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he takes that big step, and Jesus says, yes, that's it. Now, take up your cross and follow me. (laughs) What? He's supposed to be the Messiah. He's supposed to take over the Roman Empire. He's supposed to be the guy. And now we have to die? And that's where we are. And this plot is thickening. And we're beginning to see that this kingdom of heaven that we've talking about for those of you visiting i do these silly hand motions this is the kingdom of heaven this is the kingdom of earth Uh, some people here are just sick of it but it's too bad this is the kingdom of earth this is the kingdom of heaven right and so jesus is trying to get them to think up here up here up here thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and so here we are at this the crux of what's going to happen this is an incredible time this is the plot has gotten to its utmost pinnacle three months before jesus is going to be uh uh uh, on the cross. That's where we are. Matthew 17, chapter, uh, I mean, verse 1 through verse 13. It's a lot of scripture, so hang in there. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I have no idea how Peter knew it was Moses and Elijah. I don't know if they had name tags on or whatever, but it always freaks me out that Peter's just like, oh, there's Moses and Elijah. So that was bizarre. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Verse 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. 
The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking about John the Baptist. Now, when you get to a section of Scripture like... it's called the transfiguration, which is just a, a, you know, he was transfigured. He basically, who Jesus was on the inside came out. It's essentially what the transfiguration is. And so when you get to a section of scripture like that, at least for me as a pastor, it's difficult because it's kind of hard to come, you know, it, you know, typically we read a section of scripture and we say, now when this happens to you, here's four points that you can, you know, so whenever you see Jesus transfigured, make sure you, A, you know, right? So how, how do you do that when, when this is a one-time deal? Well, what I want to do is I want to just spend, it's a, I just want to spend a little bit of time at what this really means for us, that Jesus was transfigured. And then I will talk about just a few things that we can carry with us. The first thing is this is a confirmation of his deity. It's a confirmation of, of his deity. Mark, you know, one of the things I love about the Gospels is that they give different accounts. Now, they're not different factually. They're from a different perspective. And so the way Mark describes this is he says this, And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Can you imagine going to, I, you know, sometimes I'll, get my, I'll go to the dry cleaners. I'm sorry, sometimes Lisa will drop my stuff off at the dry cleaners. I, I tried to make it look like I, I do anything around the house, and I don't. So, uh, you know, and I'll go pick them up. I mean, could you imagine? You're like, man, these, you know, it's just bright white. You know, these, this is incredible. How much do I owe you for this? Just shining white. That's the way Mark says it. There, there's no way I could describe how white he, his clothes were. There's no way I can describe just how much he was glorified. You see, they, we, they saw him in his glory. What was on the inside, God was shining through on the outside. Is it, we having problems with the thing? Oh, good. All right, cool. Thanks for turning that off. It helped? Yeah. Sometimes we have problems with the... Anyway, I'll move on, okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. This is what Jesus says. Do not think I can't have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is the idea. Why are Moses and Elijah there? I mean, why did they show up? Jesus could have just done his light, bright thing, you know, and, and, and everybody would have been fine. But it's very important. This is a confirmation of his deity. What this is doing is a lot of times when you think of Moses, Moses is the law. Jesus will sometimes talk about Moses and the prophets, Moses and the prophets, the law and the prophets, these are all interchangeable. So here's the law showing up. And then Elijah is the epitome of the prophets, probably the greatest prophet, Elijah. He didn't die. He got zapped up on a chariot. Bizarre things happened to Elijah. But here he is. And what it represents is the law and the prophets coming as a handshake, as a testimony to Jesus of this new paradigm that's going to happen. Not by the blood of rams and goats and of birds and stuff like that. Not that sacrifice, but the sacrifice of God. God in the flesh coming down to be sacrificed for our sins. This is a confirmation of his deity. The idea that The law and the prophets are represented there. There's many other verses um, in Matthew that talks about this idea of the law and the prophets. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, it says, So in everything, 
do to others what you'd have them do to you, right? It's the golden rule. And then he says, this sums up the law and the prophets. In Matthew chapter 11, which we were just in just a little while ago, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. It's the end of an era. It's the end of the way we used to come to relationship with God. Now it's Jesus. It's a confirmation of his deity. Now, why, why do you say that? Why do you say it's a confirmation of his deity? Well, one of the people who was there was John, okay? And John, when he began his, his book, his gospel, he started out with a declaration of, this de- of, of the deity of Christ. And he did it because he was on the mountain. Let me show you what I'm talking about. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. This is Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. From the very beginning, before all time began, Jesus was, existed in the form of God. Now, listen, we're getting into stuff that my tiny walnut-sized brain cannot wrap my head around. And, I, you know, I've tried to do all the things with the Trinity. It's like an egg, and God the Father is the, you know, hard coating out, you know, and then the Holy Spirit's the uh, white, uh, you know, and then Jesus is the yoke or whatever. Uh, it, it, nothing will do it justice. Nothing I say, nothing, no analogy I show, no trick can give the Trinity justice. It's mind-blowing. This idea that it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. But isn't that great? I mean, I'm kind of glad that I can't wrap my head around the God I follow. Because if I could, then I'd be able to control it, right? We'll talk about that a little bit later. So John says this. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So he was with God, and he was God. It makes no sense. I understand. It's the Trinity. It's awesome. Now watch what he says in verse 14. It's very important. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What John is saying here is, This guy is God. And guess what? We saw it on the mountain. It's it's very important that we understand the deity of Jesus Christ, because if he's not God, it's not the sacrifice cannot possibly go for all eternity. Remember, when we when we were sacrificing way back in the day, rams and goats and all that kind of stuff. Every time you sin, you go to the, you know, you you take that sin, you carry it with an animal and you bring it in and you'd sacrifice it and you'd be cleansed of your sin. And then the next month you'd come back again with your stuff going, "Ah, I did it again. You know, poor animals, you know, some people just have a big, long train of animals for all their sin. Oh, man, it's just a bummer. Right. But when when Christ, when God came in the flesh, it was a sacrifice. The scripture says once for all. Only God can do that. And he did it through Jesus Christ. So there's a confirmation of his deity. It's very important that we see that. Okay. We have the testimony of the law, the testimony of the prophets, the testimony of God, the father himself saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. This is my essence. This is who I am in the flesh is what God's saying there. This is my son. Listen to him. Okay. So a confirmation of his deity. The second thing we see is a preparation of his second coming. Did you know that there are about 1500 prophecies Uh, in the Old Testament, about the second coming of Christ. And in the New Testament, one out of every 25 verses, it's actually probably one out of 20, but I don't like exaggerating, so I just made it one out of 25. 
uh, verses about the second coming in the New Testament, 312 verses in the New Testament about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And what we see here is this is a preview, a glimpse of Christ coming back. That's another thing we don't talk about that much. Right? But did you know that Jesus is coming again? And, and, and he's going to be in his glorified form this time. From the very beginning, he's going to come in glory. It's kind of weird. I mean, how, how often do I think about that? Like, what if he were coming tomorrow? What if you're coming tomorrow? What if we heard the trumpet blast and he came tomorrow? How exciting that would be. What, what difference does that, how does that change my life? If I knew he was coming tomorrow, how would I change my life? You've heard that question before. It's not a, a new or, you know, new question. But think about that. He's coming again to take his children home. And this is a preview of that. Paul talks a little bit about this in uh, Corinthians chapter 13. He says, now we see but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then, what, what's then? That's when the perfect comes. Okay. We'll see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You know, God knows you fully, right? And we're, we're trying to figure, we're trying to get this kingdom on earth. It's not going to, it's not totally going to work until Christ rules in this millennium, this thousand years. And that will show us what it looks like when in fact his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a preview of that. Now we see dimly. We see as in a mirror. It doesn't make so much sense now. But then, when we see him face to face, it's going to be awesome. So we get to this idea of the preparation of a second coming. Now, again, we go back to Moses and Elijah. The two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. Now, in Matthew, it doesn't say what they were talking about. Wouldn't you love to know what they were talking about? Luke tells us. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, don't lose me here because it's very important. So Moses and Elijah are there to represent the law and the prophets in the confirmation of his deity. But what do they represent in the preparation of his second coming? Moses represents the saints who died because Moses died. Remember, there was an argument with, with Satan over his body. Okay, it tells us. Elijah was not. Elijah was raptured. Elijah did not die. He got zapped up and off he went. Right? This is a representation of the second coming. The saints who've died and the saints who are raptured. It's very exciting stuff. And we could go into all sorts of other ways. This looks like the, you know, that's on a holy mountain and all this kind of stuff. But we're not going to get into that this morning. But I just want us to understand that this is a preparation of its coming. It's a preview. Have you ever gone to the movies and you've seen a preview for a movie you really want to see? You know, like it's an action movie or whatever, and you're, you're watching it, and they just give you a glimpse, just a taste. And then at the very end, it says, coming, December, like, 2015. And you're going, what? What'd you show me that for? I got to wait all the way to the end. There's almost like a letdown because you watched the preview, and it was so exciting, and you can't wait, and you love Star Trek or whatever it is, and you, got, you go to the conventions, you're totally in it, and you got to wait that long. This is Imagine that on steroids. This is what Peter, James, and John are going through right now. They're getting a preview of what's to come. The excitement and the glory and God speaking and showing up in a cloud. I mean, this is fantastic stuff. 
they spoke about his departure. That word in the Greek is exodus. Okay? They spoke about his exodus. Now, again, get this picture here. The exodus, I was struggling all week with this sermon because I didn't really like, I get excited about this stuff, but I didn't know how it would translate. So I hope you guys are getting excited too. Okay, so here's what happens. The exodus was the people of Israel coming out of bondage, wandering in the wilderness with God's provision and direction, and then entering the promised land. Remember when I said we, now we see in a mirror dimly? They were, this was a shadow of what is to come with Jesus taking the captives in sin and bringing them out to wander, providing for them, and then entering the promised land, heaven. And so when Moses shows up and Elijah shows up and they're talking, they're talking about this exodus, this new exodus up on this level. About us, that we are in captivity in our sin. We're in captivity and having to kind of meander around this world. And the Lord sets us free to walk in his presence. And then ultimately, heaven. Eternity with him. This fulfillment. And so they're talking to him about the exodus. This is also happening during the month of Tishri, okay? Tishri is the month where they have the Feast of Tabernacles, okay, or the Feast of Booths. And what that feast, it's a week long, and it celebrates this exodus. They make themselves tents and booths, and they kind of live in them to represent as a reminder of Moses coming out of uh, um, Egypt and going all the way to the Promised Land. Actually, Moses didn't get to enter it, but you got the idea. So they're at this time in history... Where Jesus is, I mean, this is what Peter, James, and John get to witness. They're at a time in history where they get to see the handing off of one exodus to another. A new day, a new era, a new relationship with God that happens through Jesus Christ. And there's lights and God and sounds and clouds and it's awesome. And Peter has in his mind Man, this is the tabernacle, and Moses is here, and he was really there. And now he's here. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up three tabernacles. I'm going to set up three booths. Now, what he was trying to do was he was trying to show them honor, to say, yes, I I completely confirm with what you're trying to do here, God. And so I'm going to set up these three tabernacles. Now, this is the impact this had on Peter. And we're going to go into another section of Scripture that's fairly long, but I really want us to see. It confirms Christ's deity, and it's a, prep, uh, it's a confirmation of his deity, and it's preparation for his second coming. And then we'll get into some practical stuff in just a second. Okay? Peter says this. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's, what's he talking about? He's talking about the second coming, Okay? This is in the very beginning, chapter 1. He's talking about the second coming. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the uh, majestic glory. I almost said the magic mountain. The kids were just at magic mountain yesterday. Okay, sorry about that. From the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So what he's saying is, 
I want to talk to you about the second coming because guess what? I saw a preview of it and it's going to be awesome. This is exactly what Peter's saying. Then you go through for, uh, Second Peter all the way to chapter 3 and, and um, he says, you know what? There's going to be scoffers that come. There are going to be some people that say, hey, where is this second coming? Everything looks exactly like it has been for year after year after year after year after year. And, and, and Peter calls them essentially, they're stupid. <laughs> he calls them scoffers. Okay? So then he says this. But do not forget this one thing. Okay? With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. This, this scripture right here is from our mission statement. Uh, in re, uh, the reach part of our mission statement. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you want to know why it's taking so long, so long, so long? Because the Lord is patient. He doesn't want any, he wants everyone to come to salvation, everyone to come to repentance. This is why when we think about God and his, Christ and his deity and a preparation for a second coming, and we say he's coming, it should make a difference in our lives. Now, I don't know whether it's going to be a day or a thousand years. But my testimony in Christ Jesus has to be such that if it's tomorrow, I've told everybody I could possibly tell. It's made an impact on my life. My life has, has, has changed because of this reality that he was God and he died on the cross and he's coming again. He says this, but that day of the Lord will come like a thief The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. There's this idea that what Peter saw, this preview that he saw, radically changed his life. Now, what what does this mean for us? I want to give you one last point here and it's the exhortation of our response. The exhortation of our response. Now, Peter, James and John saw something we'll probably never see until we get zipped up uh, in the rapture. Okay, we probably won't see this, but we will see great moves of God's Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, one of the things I has been impressed upon my heart to pray for 2009 for Living Spring is that we see an outpouring of his Holy Spirit. That's all I'm praying for. I'm not giving it caveats. I'm not trying to guide and direct. I'm just saying, Lord God, I would like to see an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. I don't know what that's going to look like. Okay, it might be new and deeper ways of worship where we worship with more abandon. It might be that there's a great revival here and that that many people in Garden Grove and the surrounding cities come to Christ. It might be that we see signs and wonders that for some reason when people go to the cross, they're healed. I don't know what it's going to look like, but that's what I'm praying for. It might be new levels of holiness where where, where the the, the people of this church and the surrounding churches begin to really take seriously their their walk in Christ and beginning to say, you know what, I'm going to make these changes. I'm going to live a life of holiness. And we go back to that uh, part of our history of the Free Methodist Church. I don't know what it's going to look like. But when it happens, I want to learn some things from Peter seeing something great happen with God and see if we can't learn how to respond when that happens. The first thing, what do we do when God moves in power? And we'll go through these uh, relatively quickly. The first is be sensible. (laughs) Be sensible. Oftentimes, 
when the Holy Spirit moves, you know, because it's a unique thing, and, and, and Lisa and I have been involved with many moves of the Holy Spirit that look very, very bizarre, okay? Some, some of them have been uh, ridiculed. Some of them have been well, whatever, okay? The point is, when God moves, it's what? It's supernatural. That's not natural. It's supernatural, so sometimes we have to remain sensible in it and not get all caught up in the flurry and go all crazy and lose our rooting in the word. OK, so do I believe God can do anything? Absolutely. You know, honestly, guys, if everyone started speaking in tongues right now, I, it just wouldn't bother me. Right. If we slain in the spirit, all that kind of stuff. I'm so I'm totally comfortable with all of it. Whatever the Lord wants to do, this is why I'm praying for it. Now you guys are scared. You're like, hey, could you stop praying for that? Actually, that'd be nice. Okay, right? I don't care what he does. But when he does it, we'll be sensible. Now, what happened with Peter? Okay, Peter started what they call negotiating with himself. Okay, in business, when you're about ready to do a deal, one of the things they teach you is don't negotiate with yourself. So let's say I was going to sell Carlos's guitar here. And I, I said, you know, $20. Um, <laughs> I said, you know, I'm going to sell it for $20. And before anything even happens, I go, you know, but I, I could probably knock 10% off of that. I just negotiated with myself. I just took 10% off the price. And no, none of you had, because a lot of you probably buy this for $20. Matter of fact, I'll buy it for $20. Okay. All right. Right. It's called negotiating with yourself. And we do it in life all the time. It's when we, we feel uncomfortable and we just start talking. Okay. We just start yakking. And we start digging ourselves in a hole. We like to call it putting our foot in our mouth. Okay, but it's just, we don't know what to do. And this is what Peter does. Jesus all of a sudden, like, turns like a, you know, blazing glory. And Peter can't just be quiet. He can't just be sensible. Go, man, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just going to. He said, oh, it's good for us to be here. You know, I'm glad you're shining like a, you know, like a floodlight. I'm glad we're here. I'm going to go ahead and set up three different tabernacles. And it says in the scriptures, while he was still speaking. It's like God just completely disregarded anything he was saying right there and showed up in a cloud and scared him. And he fell down on his face and said, I'll shut up. I'm sorry. Right. But when a move of God happens. You know, when you begin to see the Holy Spirit move in your life and maybe he's birthing something in you, maybe to start a small group on your street or to, to take over a ministry or th- this, this thing begins to happen, I think God wants us to be sensible at the same time we're experiencing a great, great move of his spirit. Okay, Peter missed that. He just kept talking. He wasn't sensible. He just kept talking. Second thing, be teachable. Now, what does God say when he shows up? This is so fabulous. God shows up in a cloud and it says that it basically engulfed them. So imagine the scene. You're in this cloud. There's three bright lights shining. I mean, you're hearing the voice of God. And God says, this is my beloved son. Not look at him. Not, isn't this fantastic? You know, there he is, you know, shining. Like, this is my beloved son. Check him out. He looks incredible, doesn't he? He's shining. He says, listen to him. Listen to him. See, when God shows up in a great move of the Spirit, it's not the move of the Spirit that we should be so interested in. It should be what is God trying to say us through the move of the Spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? 
See, sometimes we can get so caught up in, in what's happening that we miss what we're supposed to be learning during that time. And so God shows up and he says, this is my beloved. I know this is just an incredible situation right now. I want you to listen to him. Listen to what he has. He's sharing my heart. He's speaking my words. You know, Jesus said, I don't speak a word unless I hear it from the Father, and I don't do anything unless my Heavenly Father tells me to do it. So when you hear from Jesus, you're hearing the very words of God is essentially what this is coming around to, to be teachable. Sometimes when we have a move of the Spirit, everybody thinks everything. Oh, I know why God's doing this. Oh, you know, well, it's just like this, and it's just like that. Just shut up is what God says in the Greek, okay? All right? Be quiet. Listen, what, what do you want us to learn from this? Is essentially where our heart needs to be. So I don't know what it is. You know, maybe all of a sudden, a lot of people come to Christ. And again, you know, we've gone to two services to prepare for an influx of people that I believe God is longing for us to reach. It's the first part of our to reach, to restore, and to respond. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it might look weird. Lots of people coming to Christ, and it's easy to go, oh, you know, I know why. Well, see, and, you know, write a book, The Living Spring Way, and all this kind of stuff, and just be quiet and be teachable, okay? The third thing is, be flexible. What did Peter want to do? He loved the experience, so he says, let's just camp on this experience. I'll set up three tabernacles. It'll be awesome. We can just sit around. You keep shining the glory thing. We'll, we'll take over the Romans. This is going to be awesome. It's good for me to be here. This is great that we're experiencing this. Let's just camp out right here. It's a danger when God begins to move. And you've seen it. You've seen churches that had a great move of God and they camped and God ended up moving on. And they're still camped out, trying to get it going, trying to work it out, trying to keep it going. Oh, man, it's dangerous. And so as, as a church, we need to be ready. Oh, this is a great move of God, what God is doing. And be ready for him to completely just, I'm going to do something new now. To be flexible. Okay, Peter was setting up all his plans. And then God showed up and said, dude, be quiet. Okay, let me, I've got something to say. Okay, no tabernacles. We're not camping down here. You know, we're not camping. We're just going to head. And then look what happens. It's really important for us to see. They see this great miracle, these great things. And then they walk down the, the mountain. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, by the way, um, don't, don't tell anybody what we saw. How is that possible? I, can't, I can keep a secret. But I probably couldn't keep that. I mean, can you, can you get down with the rest of the disciples? And they're like, man, what were you doing? Oh, uh, we were just up in the mountain. What, what, oh, what were you guys doing up there? Uh, well, we were sleeping for a while. It does say that in Luke, by the way. They were sleeping when Jesus went to his glory deal. Uh, we were sleeping. Did you sleep the whole time? No, no. Uh, we got woken up um, by a noise. And, you know, it's pretty cool. Okay, great. So what's for lunch, right? You know, and they keep pressing him. Well, what happened? Did anything happen? Did Jesus tell you anything? Yeah, he did. There's a, you know, we were up there and with <clears throat> Elijah. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, how do you do that? How do you be quiet after something like that? But again, it shows God has a plan. And when his spirit moves, we have to be able to be teachable, right? Sensible, flexible. We got to be able to move. Okay, 
the Lord's doing this, but this is what he wants to do through it. It's very difficult sometimes to be flexible because we're just not flexible people. We want to understand it. We want to what? Control it is essentially what it comes down to. If I had my way, I want to control the Holy Spirit. I want him doing what I pray for. Stop messing around. If I pray for it, I want it done. I want him moving the way that isn't too wacky so I don't look weird. I want, you know, all these different, I want to control the Holy Spirit in my flesh. But when you're sensible and you're teachable and you're flexible, what happens? You just say, I don't don't know what's going on. I don't know what God's doing, but I love this ride. I love knowing Jesus. Because on one hand, I'm watching great, glorious things. On the other hand, I'm just walking with him down the mountain, trying to hear from him, going, hey, you know, Elijah's going to come, and it was John the Baptist. Oh, really cool. The last thing is be available. Be available. Do you know that those who are closest to Jesus got to see his glory? Peter, James, and John. John is the one they call the one whom Jesus loved. Right? They wanted a deeper relationship with Jesus. And so they got to see certain things. They got to see the, the little girl raised from the dead. Okay, they, they got to see this. Why? Because they were close to Jesus. Now hear me, church, because a lot of times what we want, we want it the opposite way. We say, do something fantastic that will draw me closer to you. That isn't the way it works. We draw closer to God and he does something fantastic. Maybe he releases a bondage that we've had for years, but we want it the opposite way and that's not the way God works. You remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead? Okay, so Jesus' friend Lazarus dies and he's been in the tomb for three days and Jesus says, hey, you know what? I'm going to raise him from the dead. Pull the stone away. And everyone's just like, yeah, okay. It's going to be kind of stinky. Because he's been in there three days. And Jesus says, you know, roll the stone away. Now listen, those who are willing to be closest to the stench, to the bad part, got to see the greatest amount of glory. They were closest to the miracle. This is the way God works. As we draw close to God, as we begin to abandon ourselves, when we become sensible, right, flexible, teachable, as we begin to do that, and we become available, God begins to do great things in our lives. We see great miracles. We see people come to Christ. We see prayers answered that we didn't believe could be answered before because what typically has it happens is we want to control our lives and have God zap us with these little miracles and things. So we go, oh yeah, this is working out great. God does not want that. God wants us to draw near to him. He will draw near to us and then we begin to see his glory. Does that make sense? As the worship band uh, comes back up. I want to talk to us a little bit about what's our next step. Okay, because granted, when we go home, there's a pretty good chance we're not going to see Jesus glorified in our living room. Okay? But do you want to see? Wouldn't you want to see that? I would. In this era where we are right now, God can be glorified in that way, but it's just a little different. It's with us drawing near to Him. 